which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he, here's the phrase, he emptied himself. He emptied himself. Taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Now here's God saying, here's what happened really. Christ, Christ himself, existed in the form of God, didn't regard that as a quality, didn't grasp it or cling to it or hang on to it. He humbled himself, took on the form of a, a man and bondservant. He humbled himself to the point of obedience, to the point of death on the cross. And then it says, for this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven, those who are on the earth, and those who are under the earth, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me just ask a quick question I want to out loud answer. Okay, this is, this is your chance to talk for a second. Right? How many knees are going to bow? Every one of them. Every one of them. How many tongues are going to confess? Every one of them. Every one of them. So, just four things I want you to hear today, and it's real clear. Number one, Jesus left heaven for me. Jesus left heaven for me. Can I get you to just say that with me? It's up on the screen here. Jesus left heaven for me. Point to yourself when you say it, so I know you know you're actually meaning what you say. Jesus left heaven for. That's right. That's impressive, by the way. When you just think through that. If you just want to meditate on something for a while, Jesus left heaven for me. You know, he was surrounded by angels too great to number who hailed him as Lord God. They worshipped him completely, wholly, fully, with no sin or selfishness in any of their worship. They worshipped him all day and all night. It doesn't even, time doesn't exist up there for him. There was never a time when Jesus was, not, was unnoticed or unloved or uncared for or unadmired or not worshipped in heaven. There's never a time when Jesus was uncomfortable in heaven. Never a time. Now I know some of you pretty well. And every once in a while you get in your little comfort place, whether it's your, you know, some couch chair you got or something, something you're just comfortable being in. You know, you snuggle up in your bed and you just get all comfortable with your pillows just right and all that. And man, you don't want nothing to bother you. Nothing. Nobody. I'm comfortable. Finally comfortable. And I've had these shingles for a while now. And, uh, and they're sensitive. Shingles are real sensitive to touch. The clothing just feels like needles and pins and nails on you. And so when you lay down, I got them on my back and my shoulder. So it's one of those, you know, there's just no way, Lord. <laughs> I can't. I can't get comfortable with anything. I sleep on my left shoulders, you know, st kind of staying up, and I can't put, you know, any blankets or anything. It just hurts. And so in the last little while when it's starting to heal, I find these places where I can just, I get real still and I get real comfortable. I'm like, nothing's hurting me. Oh, man, I'm not going to breathe. Nothing hurts. But Jesus is in heaven. He's never uncomfortable. Not for any second at all. Not one millisecond of eternity was he uncomfortable or unadored and unadmired. He left heaven for you. And all that changed. Because when He came here, He came and was rejected. He came and was despised. Philippians 2 says He was doing it because He was thinking of you. Philippians 2 verse 3. 
says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Paul challenging the Christians at Philippi, that'd be us, Northside folks. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. One verse later, he says, and consider Jesus as your example. Because Jesus did nothing from selfishness. You know that he was self, totally selfless when he left heaven. He was totally selfless. He did not regard himself as more important than you. Think about that. Jesus did not regard himself as more important than you. Do you think Jesus is a little more important than you? He's the most important figure in all of history, in all of time, in all of eternity. He is the most important thing ever. That's why I wanted Easter this year to be called. It's all about you. Because Jesus said, ah, I'm going to lay all that down and make it all about you. Man, that's a Savior and a half, I tell you. He's the most important figure in history. And yet He wants you to understand he considers you more important he considers you more important than himself i want you to say that phrase with me one more time jesus left heaven for say it out loud jesus left heaven for me he left heaven for you and for me second thing i want you to consider today is that he stepped down from his sovereign rulership See, he didn't just leave heaven and walk out here on earth. And uh, Mark Lowry has a great bit. I should have found a little little clip of it and, and put it in the service for you. But, but he talks about it. Mark Lowry, the uh, Christian comedian, says, you know, if I was Jesus, you know, and I was coming to earth, man, it wouldn't have been in a little manger in a little no-name town and lived in a no-name city. You know, for 30 years, hardly anybody knew he was around. And see, Mark Lowry's like, man, if I was Jesus coming to earth, there'd have been a parade and a band. I'd have been on Main Street of Rome, and I'd have had just an entourage of people and all kinds of angels flapping around, and it'd been, you know, woohoo, Jesus is here. That's not how he came at all. He actually stepped down from his sovereign rulership to become a 100% man and still remain 100% God. He emptied himself. The Bible says in Philippians 2. He emptied himself. It's a very famous passage. And I promised you when we went through it earlier in our study, I'd come back to it for Easter. So just so you hear what it, what it says in the text, Jesus existed in the form of God, what it says in Philippians 2. He was God, very God. He existed in the form of God. And it sounds when you hear that in English like he existed past tense. It actually says he exists. He has always existed as God. He will always be God and he, he, he never isn't God. There's never a time when Jesus doesn't exist as God. In Exodus chapter 3, in the book of Exodus, Moses is called upon to, relieve, to go get Israel and bring, redeem them from the Egyptians. And he's up in a mountain uh, wandering around with sheep and a bush is burning and uh, begins to speak to him and says, hey, take off your shoes, this is holy ground. And he realizes that God himself God Himself is speaking to him from that bush. And they have a conversation that, uh, if you like funny conversations, you should read it for the humor of it because Moses just is combative with God a little bit at times. And I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not gonna, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And God's like, yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. I'm going to help you do it. We're going to do this. And, but ultimately, Moses has one of these questions that he throws out to God. He goes, well, when I go to Egypt... Because he's just a shepherd now. He used to live there, but now he's a shepherd. When I go to Egypt, who do I say sent me? And this is what God says to Moses. 
tell them, I am. I am sent you. Because the Israelites would get that in a heartbeat. Because that's the very name of God. Now when Jesus was in His earth, earthly ministry, in His early days, in John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus says, before Abraham was, He's got a bunch of Jewish people around, a bunch of Jewish leaders, real egghead Jewish leaders around Him. The, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all the educated religious guys are trying to find some reason to get Him in trouble. And Jesus says this sentence, before Abraham was, I am. He didn't say, I, I was too. I lived before Abraham. No, he goes, nope. Before Abraham was, I always was. The, the word that God used in the Old Testament and the word that Jesus used in the New Testament is, I always have been, I always will be, and I never won't be. I'm eternal. And when Jesus said that in John chapter 8, by the way, the Pharisees went nuts. They were trying to kill him right then and there on the spot for blaspheming. You used the name of God. You declared yourself to be God, very God. And you get to Philippians when God's telling us, here's how Christmas and Easter look to me. He is God, very God. He was always God. He was God in the manger. He was God on the cross. And He was God in that tomb. He's always been God. And that's what they're trying to say. That's what the text is saying to us. Now in that process though, it says He emptied Himself. He fully submitted Himself to God the Father's plan and He emptied Himself. So when He emptied Himself... Let me just give you a quick list. We covered this a little bit in the earlier study. But he emptied himself of his heavenly riches. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 says, He became poor. He became poor for our sake. You think Jesus ever would have been thought of as poor previous to this? No. He had to come to earth to be thought of as poor. Um, the grace is that he was, he was rich, but he became poor for our sake, so we could become rich. He emptied Himself. He emptied Himself of His beauty. Isaiah 53 says there's no beauty in Him. Do you know in the Psalms, when you read the Psalms, and my good friend Phil's here, and he loves to preach on the Psalms. Man, he does a great job preaching on the Psalms. Now, when you read the Psalms, though, they're full of this phrase, the beauty of the glory and the holiness of God. God is beautiful. Isaiah says, there was no beauty found in him. Just a common old guy. No beauty found in him at all. He emptied himself of his beauty. He emptied himself of his glory. John 17, Jesus is in that garden of Gethsemane where the soldiers are going to come arrest him. And Jesus says in his prayer to his father, Father, now listen to these words, Father, restore to me the glory I had with you before the world was. Before the world was, restore that glory to me. Man, can you imagine what the glory of Christ in God is before the world was? See, He laid all that down. We couldn't look on His glory, by the way. You can't look on the glory of God. Remember in the Old Testament, the whole story about that. You can't look on the glory of God. Moses didn't, you know, caught, caught the backside of it and it changed everything about him. You can't look on the glory of God. So he had to veil his glory. He had to empty himself and veil his glory. He emptied himself of his own independent spirit as, as Jesus Christ, the Son of God. John 5.30, he says, I've come to do what the Father wants me to do and I resign myself to do His will. That's why he says in the Garden of Gethsemane these words, not my will, but your will be done. We're going to fo follow 
your plan. Jesus stepped down from His sovereign rulership for me. Have you ever thought about how much Jesus left and stepped down? Have you ever thought about how much He left in order to become a Savior? How many kings stepped down from their thrones? How many lords have abandoned their homes? How many greats have become the least? How many gods have poured out their hearts to romance a world that is torn apart? How many fathers gave up their sons for me? It says at the end, only one did that for me. All for me and all for you. Isn't that something? That's just rich truth. So Jesus left heaven for me. Say that out loud. Jesus left heaven for me. Jesus stepped down from His sovereign rulership for me. And now I want you to hear this real clear. Jesus became a servant to me. Jesus became a servant to me. Will you say that out loud? Jesus became a servant to me. Luke chapter 22, verse 27. I am in the midst of you as one who serves, Jesus said. Mark 10, verse 45. The Son of Man came not, not to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. Now those are theological truths and words that we hear, and we go, yeah, Jesus said that, yeah, Jesus said that, yeah, of course, He's you know, the servant. He came as a servant, and he is, he came, He's the Son of Man, He came not to be served. They weren't just words. He actually lived that out in His time on the earth. He, he served the wedding, a wedding party that was in trouble, by the way. It run out of wine. And he served 3,000 cups, if you do the math. 3,000 cups of wine made available because Jesus showed up at the wedding and went, hey, we're going to let the party go on. Come on, I got you. He served crippled men and blind people, paralyzed people, deaf people, people who were possessed by evil spirits. Jesus came into their, to their life and he touched them and he served them in a way nobody else could serve them. He took care of them in a way nobody else could ha handle those infirmities. I love this one. My parents owned a restaurant. So uh, he fed thousands of people multiple times. He fed thousands of people, thousands of people, enough food to satisfy them. All you can eat buffets. All you can eat buffet, thousands of people. Some of you that cook big, big, fancy stuff for bunches of people, you know what that's all about. Right? He served thousands, he prepared and served thousands of meals. He served fishermen who were fishing and couldn't catch anything. He said, let me help you with that. I got an idea. Throw your nets on the other side. Watch this. Right? Sometimes I need his help on that, by the way. I don't catch very many fish. He washed the feet of his disciples. The night he was going to be betrayed by one of his disciples, he washed 12 disciples' feet. Study the passage carefully. Judas didn't leave the upper room to go betray Jesus and tell the Pharisees where you can find him in the garden. He didn't do that until Jesus had washed the feet of the disciples. You know what that means? Get this picture in your head. When Judas walked from the upper room to the temple to find the priest and the Pharisees that he's going to betray Jesus for and get 30 pieces of silver, when he walked that road, walked that little path and went up into the temple, he had clean feet. You know why? Because Jesus washed all the dirt and mud out from his feet of his betrayer. Because he loves everybody. Jesus became a servant to everybody. He became a servant to you, and He is your servant. 
He means to serve you. More importantly, He came to serve everyone. He serves thieves and harlots and soldiers. Read the New Testament. Thieves and harlots and soldiers and mother-in-laws. Peter's mother-in-law had a headache. Needs some help. And He serves. He became a servant to all of mankind and ultimately He came to serve and sacrifice His life for you. He became a servant to you personally. I'm hoping you're catching the drift of today. It's all about you and what Jesus Christ, King of all kings and Lord of all lords, chose to do personally for you. By the way, He didn't have to do that. He chose to come down and take your sins and pay for them on the cross. He did not have to do it, but He chose to. He loves us more than His own status in heaven. All of that He was willing to lay down for you. Last thing I want to settle with you real clear in this text. Because when when God looks at the perspective of Christmas and Easter and Jesus leaving heaven for us and serving us as servant and dying on the cross for us, God said there's a result of that. And here's the result. Jesus is Lord of all. He is the most exalted the highest exalted. It actually says when He emptied Himself and lived fully obedient to the Father because He lived selflessly and sacrificially, God has highly exalted Him for this reason. God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name which is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and those who are under on the earth and those who are under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God says, every knee is going to bow. Now, I've read this many times. I've studied this passage for a long time and I love the the concept. And in my head, I'm thinking, so He's going to force, at some point in time in history, He's going to force everybody to bow. I don't think it's forced, by the way. I think when you understand... Etern- when, when eternity, when we go from earthly life to eternal life, whether it's heaven or hell, because heaven and hell are mentioned in this text. Heaven and hell are mentioned. Below the earth is, is what they refer to as hell. Wherever you are, you're going to get it. And it ain't going to have to be forced. It's going to be an automatic, I bow my knee. And I worship God, very God. Only problem is, once you've made the eternal decision, once you've left the earth and you're in one of places of eternity, you're there. There's no going back. Everyone in heaven, everyone on earth, and everyone under the earth, meaning hell, everyone's knees going to bow. So let me make this crystal clear to you. And I'm just going to throw out some names. Adolf Hitler's knees. Adolf Hitler's knees. Millions of Jews massacred by Adolf Hitler. Millions. Adolf Hitler's knees will bow. They haven't already. I bet they have, by the way. His knees have bowed and his mouth has declared Jesus Christ is Lord of all. He got it wrong all his earthly life, but in eternity, in hell, he's got that. Lenin. Lenin's knees. Vladimir Lenin. All you young people don't know who that is, but all those growing up, we do. Oh, by the way, just so you know, John Lennon... (laughs) of the Beatles, his will too. So just in case you think that's the one I was talking about. So John and Vladimir, all their knees are bowing. 
right? There's not anybody left out of this. You Beatles fans, you just need to get that in your head. Okay? Stephen Hawking's recently passed away. Stephen Hawking's. He gets it today. Didn't get it on earth at all, by the way. Resisted the truth of Christianity. Just constantly saying things about how science was more intellectual than this faith thing. He gets it today because he's in eternity. And in eternity, your knees bow. Because you understand, God has highly exalted Jesus Christ so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Guess who Stephen Hawking's judge was when he was judged? Jesus Christ. Guess what he had to do? Bow. He had to bow. Donald Trump's knees one day will bow. Donald Trump's got a lot of arrogance in him, man. It's an amazing thing to watch, isn't it? I like what he's doing with some things and freaks me out with some other things, but I'm telling you, he's an arrogant guy. His knees going to bow. I don't care who he thinks he is. Really don't. doesn't matter in eternity. Because when you stand before God, Kim Jong-un, you talk about a guy that's got an ego. That guy, oh my gosh. His knees, his dad's knees, by the way, already have, and his knees are going to one day bow. There's all these Hollywood's atheists, uh, Catherine Hepburn back in the day, she took a real big stand against Christian faith and was a, a devout atheist all of her days. Brad Pitt today, Daniel Radcliffe, some of Hollywood's finest atheists, all their knees, no matter how famous they are, no matter how cool they are, all their knees are going to bow, every single one of them. Richard Dawkins Dawkins writes all these books nowadays just bashing Christianity. Just bashing it. One day, no more bashing going to happen. He's going to stand before the one he's bashed who has nail prints in his hands, eternal scars that paid for the sins of Richard Dawkins that if he doesn't confess them before he leaves this earth, they, it will not matter. He will be in hell still bowed. You can bow in heaven or you can bow in hell. That's your choice. You can bow in heaven, you can bow in hell. Mark Twain once wrote this. He was an atheist. He said, there's one notable thing about Christianity. Bad, bloody. <laughs> That's kind of interesting because he's, he's an author. Look what he says. There's one notable thing. Bad, bloody, merciless, money-grabbing, and predatory. I think that's five. So <clears throat> I'm just doing the math. Maybe he wasn't a mathematician. Okay, But he didn't like Christianity. You know what? Great writer. He's bowed. His knees have bowed before an almighty God. Carl Sagan, real popular in the 70s and 80s. Man, we, we were in Bible college. Carl Sagan was all over our stuff and we were constantly trying to figure out what he was talking about. He's a self-proclaimed agnostic from the 80s. He wrote, it, he wrote this about Christianity. He said, because Christianity's ex claims are extraordinary. Listen to what he says. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. When he passed away, he stood before the extraordinary evidence. He stood before the one that he said didn't exist that he needed evidence of and he never found. He stood before that one and he had his extraordinary evidence then and it was too late for him to confess it to change his eternal destiny. He got his evidence too late. Michael Newdow, he was born in 1953, he's very popular for constantly suing the U.S. government to get God out of the Pledge of Allegiance and off currency and out of uh, the O's of our public office. He hates the fact that God's in everything. He hates that. We don't, he doesn't like the fact that we have it in our pledge and all our money and all that. One day, his knee is going to bow. 
to the one he's tried to purge from everything in society, his knee is going to bow to that very one. Greta Christina is one of the most popular atheist bloggers on the web. She's in the top ten uh, most popular bloggers, atheist bloggers. Um, she, she wrote a book, you got to love this. She wrote a book called Everything You Know About God is Wrong. Do you think the irony of that might be important when she gets in eternity? If she doesn't repent between now and then? you think God might go, let me show you something in your book you missed? Because everything, everything's wrong about what you're thinking. Because I'm God, very God. And you're before Jesus Christ, the judge, who God has highly exalted above every name so that every, every knee's going to bow. Greta, every knee's going to bow. You can get a lot of things wrong. You better not get this one wrong. You just better not get this one wrong. Philip Roth, 1913, born in 1913. He's a famous atheist and he was a Jewish author. He says, when the whole world doesn't believe in God, it will be a great place. <clears throat> Wrong. Missed it. Missed it by a mile. But his knees bow before God now. Richard Carrier is a current day PhD. In, uh, he has a PhD in ancient history from Columbia University. He travels around crusading against Christianity. He's a crusading atheist. His, his specialty is attacking the belief in the New Testament, that which we're preaching on today. And he said, it is very probable Jesus never actually existed as a historical person. Hmm. One day, buddy, you better change that opinion really, really seriously before you go to hell. Because one day in eternity, your knee's going to bow before the one you don't even think exists. And it will happen. Because God's never wrong. You find me anything in the New Testament or Old Testament where God's wrong. He's never wrong. And here's what God says. My son, in obedience the cross died for your sins you trust in him and you get to live with me you don't and you're going to hell and either place you go I've highly exalted my son so every knee is going to bow so Richard Carrier's knee is going to bow Robert Ingersoll long time ago largely forgotten mainstream historian and major figure in the 19th century uh, he was considered one of the greatest uh, greatest agnostics of his time and a really strong orator um, he says this if any possibility the existence of a power superior to and independent of nature should be demonstrated there will be time enough to kneel until then let us stand no there won't nobody knows nobody knows your time between earth and eternity nobody knows i stayed up here late tuesday night working real hard uh, helping get a bunch of this stuff ready. And, and uh, when I left here at, at 11 o'clock, I couldn't go up this road. They had shut it down because two people died right up here in a head-on collision coming out of LeBaron Wood, right there at LeBaron Wood entrance. Two people had a head-on collision, a young man and an old man. Both died. 20, 21. Was, was a student of Kathy's a long time ago. Okay? And, and died right here. He didn't know he was going to be standing before the Almighty Judge. But I promise you, his knees have bowed. If he knew Jesus, when his knees bowed, he was doing it out of, he'd already practiced it like we have. He already knew how to worship and adore the Father and the Son. And he felt before God and he walked with God and he walked right into eternity. And he said, just like Jesus said to the thief, this day with me in paradise. If either of them didn't know Jesus, their knees still bow. They're just doing it in a different place. Doing it in hell where there's eternal torture there. 
problem, Mr. Ingersoll, is you will be kneeling. Even if you don't concede the truth now, one day you're going to kneel and there's no time to decide. So here's what I'd like to do as we close our service. We're going to sing When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, just softly. Caleb's going to play that for us on the piano. And uh, we're all going to just sing When I Survey. It's a great old hymn. It's my favorite, favorite hymn of all times. And uh, we're going to open up the altar. If you've not made a decision to receive Christ, if you're not sure... You just like to come and use this altar for a minute to pray and say, Lord, I want to thank you for serving me and for saving me. See, he became a servant to you to save you, and he's Lord of all. And we need to declare him Lord of all today. Amen. Y'all stand with me as we sing.